1: Live from the NASDAQ market overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Carter Worth, Karen Feinemann and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, is it time to rethink your safety strategy? The one chart that has the chart master pumping the brakes, plus investors putting the pedal to the metal on Uber today we will tell you what is driving the action. And later, skipping breakfast, why the most important meal of the day, could leave Wendy's investors with a serious case of indigestion. But we begin with late breaking news out of Washington. The president talking about a China trade deal a moment ago. Let's get to Eamon Jabbers live at the White House with the very latest. Eamon.
2: Yeah, Melissa, that's right. The president was in the Roosevelt Room signing as part of a signing ceremony for a smaller trade deal with the Japanese. But he also talked extensively about the prospects for a trade deal between the United States and China, given that negotiations are kicking back up this week. The president was asked if he would accept a smaller deal uh, rather than waiting for that grand big deal that he's been pushing for. Here's what he said.
3: I think that uh, we just have to see what happens. I would much prefer a big deal. And I think that's what we're shooting for. Can something happen? I guess maybe. Who knows? But I think it's probably unlikely.
2: And I also asked Melissa, the president, uh, whether or not he told Xi Jinping, as has been reported, that he would remain quiet about the Hong Kong protests during the course of these China trade negotiations. The president said... No, I didn't. He said, uh, but we're negotiating. If anything happened bad, that would be bad for the negotiation. Politically, it would be very tough. The president uh, sort of going on at some length here about the protests in Hong Kong and admiring the American flags, the Trump signs that he's seen uh, in the crowd there, uh, and admiring the the pro-democracy protesters, but ultimately saying that the protests in Hong Kong and the trade negotiations with the Chinese are not linked, Melissa.
1: It's interesting, Eamon, because just, I want to say, a month and a half ago or so, the president, I believe, had made some comment to the effect of we want to see that resolved first and then we can talk right. as if the trade talks would be contingent on the protests in Hong Kong dying down. And yet here right. we are today and it's a much different story.
2: Yeah, the president's simply saying today that he hopes it's resolved in a humane way.
1: Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers joining us from the White House. Uh, This could be the biggest market-moving event this week, and we have uh, President Trump making some comments today. How do you feel about this as a catalyst?
4: Well, we had some some weekend press that 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 had people a little concerned. Right. So what are the core issues? Obviously, if you ask most people, I think this is certainly bipartisan. We want protection. We want protection of American intellectual property. Uh, I, I think we on some level care about subsidies, although, you know, the industrial subsidies that China embarks upon domestically, should not really be our issue, if you ask me. So maybe no one asked for my opinion. But as we get into the most thorny trade issues as to getting a deal, uh, USIP is the most important. The problem here is they're not going to put into any legislative or it's not going into law in China, and that's going to be a big deal. So can we get there? Uh, you know, it becomes uh, very difficult. And when you add in the subsidies part of it, where I don't think China's going to play ball, I don't see a lot that they're really agreeing on right so,
5: now. So Everyone had thought we were going to get little deals going up to it. That's what the market was looking for maybe a little deal and then maybe something bigger something bigger is not coming anymore they're not dealing with ip it's not going to happen it's a, it's a true negative for the market
1: all right
6: yeah i mean i'm afraid of you know any any progress on the china trade deal i think is really a head fake and i think we keep seeing it you know When the market gets, you know, rough and down, then Trump tweets something positive about how progress is being made or constructive talks or whatever it is. And I think it wouldn't shock me to see the administration sort of re um, have a new perspective on what a trade deal should look like, how vast it should be, what it should cover, and to have that be a much narrower focus and then declare some kind of victory, that could happen. But I don't think that's the kind of a real trade deal that we need to really support the economy, to really get uh, executives, mostly CEOs, who are thinking about what do they do for expenditures, how do they think about their business going forward, to have confidence that we're not going to see tariffs up
1: and down. That's, that's the real problem. I think that's one of the thorniest issues. And if, and if we don't think that China is going to comply, let's say, with any agreement on intellectual property right. and tariffs remain in place, that's going to be used as, as leverage against the Chinese to get them to comply. And that has been the very thing that has caused all this uncertainty in the markets.
3: Right. And, and, and hence the volatility, and hence the hope for resolution, hope for resolution. But it's just not coming. And I think the the real trap is, is that we know that this is the single area of the market, industrials where after the election, it was the most spit up. And actually, on a relative basis, industrials as a sector peaked on the 1st of December, just after the election in 2018, and they've been going straight down ever since, making new nine-year lows just this week. Well, you're right. So at some point, are they cheap, or is it just more of a trap? Well,
4: if you think about, let's take FedEx, for example, a stock that I, I think at these levels trading at, you know, at 14 bucks a share, it's 10 times next year. Um, we know FedEx can get cheaper because I bet I said that at 180. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, but but that was a two hundred and eighty dollar stock stocks down 50 percent from the blow off top, which is in Jan of 2018, which is essentially a month before we got trade talk. So if you look at a FedEx and you look at the steel stocks, they are all telling you how important the industrial side that Carter's talking about is to this. And, and there's there's no relief. Uh, I think, until you get some certainty. Again, we don't expect right. that the global economy turns on a dime. You need right. CEOs to understand how their business changes.
1: At the same time, when I read that Bloomberg article, as we all read early this morning, and I thought, hmm, I wonder what the markets are going to do today. I thought they'd be lower on because there's basically no other news in the market. There are no earnings, no, no economic data. We had that article saying that it's going to be a slimmed down trade deal. And yet, we finish fractionally off. Well, I is, think you is had, a you had
5: Larry Kudlow also talking right. about that they're not going to bar companies, Chinese companies, from listing here or delist companies listing here. So, so I think was that, was tail of okay. that was a tailwind. That was an
1: affirmation. That was a
5: tailwind. But I think this is definitely a negative for the overall markets if a bigger deal can't get done.
3: And the trajectory of the day was negative, right? To think about where the futures were down all night. Right? right? And you're worried and sure. have the headline. but And we're thinking, Ugh. and then it starts coming back, which draws money in only then to reverse and close out or near the lows. That's ah. very bad action where they said a bad tape,
1: right? So then what does the action of a stock like an Apple tell us or some of these semiconductor names, which d- did well in today's session, and arguably are the poster children of the trade war?
4: Well, a- Apple's to me relatively easy to understand I'm long Apple I, I feel like we, we talk at length on this show about some drivers for Apple which include a better uh, revenue mix more geared towards services higher multiple capital markets maybe now at 5G. Um, semis are harder to explain I mean think about semis which are basically a couple points from all time highs in the face of really uh, not only the cyclicality of a trade war but some of the bellwethers in that sector including Texas Instruments and, and, and even Intel throwing a lot of cold water on their guidance for, for where we even see restocking, let alone actual real-end demand. So
5: it's, it's, it's concerning, and I, I don't think you chase semis here, that's for sure. A- a- Apple, though, Apple changed, the dialogue changed from an actual China trade stock to a stock based on fundamentals. And everyone was looking for the services to outweigh whatever the hardware was lacking or the slowing growth. Uh-huh. Now, if you have hardware kicking in along with services... That's, that, to me, is how the story changed. I don't think it has anything to do with China at all anymore. anymore. I think Just this because is a they're going to sell reason. more
1: iPhone 11s, all of a sudden the China threat is no longer? No,
5: well, I think that the China threat had dissipated to a larger extent in the uh-huh. last couple of weeks. And then when the notes started coming out that the iPhone is actually selling better, and now all of a sudden everyone said, we discounted that to a secular decline, I think the story does change for the better.
6: I think that they kind of get a pass on this quarter, right? So, this isn't the evolution, revolutionary phone, I guess you okay. know, that we're going to see for 5G. So, I think they on have. On the calendar third quarter, right? Right. Yes. That they announced October 30. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the 11th. What?
4: The 11th, right? Is that where we are? We had numbered the iPhone Oh, 11. the iPhone 11. Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, we're yeah. talking about the, yeah. the, the quarter, the camera. pass on
6: the quarter. The quarter. <laughs> so, I think that, you know, if we see services, that part of the story needs to stay intact. Right. right we need that we we want to see uh, you know how the evolution of apple uh, streaming does but I think that they kind of have a pass on the hardware for a little while I do think the China threat still exists there was an article over the weekend about Tim Cook's relationship with, with Trump president Trump. And how he's been yeah.
4: to- isn't this your point I think this is your point and you're not even trying to make a point now but but I mean <laughs> well Apple, done, well Apple done for that Apple absolutely is a trade war stock it even though I, is. I know it's it's going to be subject to terror and, and, and so Apple is kind of levitating despite the fact that we know that there's bottom-up drivers for Apple um, it's the same thing with semis and it's basically a market that's seems somewhat blasé about a lot of bad news and should have done more today. And and what does that tell you about where markets are? I think it it does tell you, we talk also a lot about positioning. There's a lot of hedge fund managers that have missed their bogey and it's time to drive it into year-end. And I, I do think when you look at where net longs are in the hedge fund world, even though gross longs are very big, People are not positioned long and need to find stocks like Apple that are not terribly controversial to get long.
3: Apple is as poised as any stock in the market to break out, and not many stocks are, right? So what do we know? It's day-to-day action. Of all the things that have ever been tested, the biggest quench-ups in the world, relative strength consistently in the ranks is a factor that one wants to embrace. The day-to-day relative strength, the week-over-week relative strength, is very impressive. On a classic charting level, it's a breakout candidate and uh, I think it's going to break out.
1: And what do semis
3: look like? Semis are a little, well, they're they're to be marveled at how well they hold in there, but they're not poised to break out.
1: So perhaps they are trade war stocks at this point. But
5: the Mm -hmm. semis actually felt to me that they bounced on a smaller deal getting done and that anticipation, the positive anticipation of a smaller deal getting done without any IP involved. I'm surprised that President Trump hasn't walked that back a little bit and said, we're going to get it done in the stages. We're going to get it either in stages or a big deal, but we're going to get something done. He should be walking it back right now.
1: So you have been relatively bullish on right. the market. So now that you think that a big deal is off the table, do you pare back your expectations?
5: Yeah, I do pare them back a, a bit. And I also think that once the deal gets done... It is a very large, shortable event for the overall market.
1: You mean the small deal that you're expecting?
5: The small deal, but I I think that whenever a deal gets done, that's your time to ring the bell and probably start exiting some longs because China is the growth engine of the world, or at least we've been told that for years, and and it has been the case. So if they give up something, by its nature, their growth slows even more. If that slows even more... We slow. Not not
1: necessarily. What's what's the risk reward, though, for staying long at this point, just a couple percentage from all-time highs, versus the downside, the sell-off that we'll see after that deal is announced?
5: Yeah, Does that work out? Yeah, No, it's diminishing to me where at this point you had to stay long because you have Powell easing where last year we had the rest of the world was tightening, Powell was tightening. Now he's changed, he's softer, he's more dovish. You have that caveat of a trade deal getting done, there's not you do have earnings, so there's a fundamental case that I think that earning estimates came in too hard. So you have that, but other than that, you should probably. But again, the notion of staying
3: long—that's just ten stocks, right? I mean, ten stocks are more than the bottom 350. You've got think about the preeminent brokerage firm in the world, Goldman Sachs, is down at two and three and four year lows. Morgan Stanley—it's never been that good. The S and P has been good, but the internals have been struggling for a long time.
6: What's so, the normal, sorry, what's the normal, you have some number of leaders, obviously, you know, and then always. a number always, of laggards. Right. So what how does it compare to the it, average?
3: It's no different. That when when good technique argues for clustering into fewer and fewer names, children know this when they play musical chairs, right? They're casual and they start to go around, but then they get tighter and tighter, and they jump from chair to chair. People hide in names, it's good technique, until the end. They say, well, I'll stay in Visa, I'll stay in Microsoft. As more and more stocks, from Caterpillar to FedEx to brokers to banks to industrials, well, guess what's happening now? The in, the big rails are all rolling
4: over. By the way, we have never played musical chairs. On, we love games <laughs> we play on it Fast We all the time. I sit and, and, there sometimes. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> chairs shot. are brought in well, sometimes. Yeah, I chair musical chairs true? all the time. Okay, so <laughs> in terms of musical Fed chairs, uh, you know, Powell is going to speak tomorrow. Uh, and if we don't have a trade deal, there's no question that the Fed, to me, is going to go. Uh, and I mean more than more than once. And to me right now, I think the Fed only goes once. I mean, if you listen to Rosengren, if you listen to some of the other folks, they're not ready to do much at all. So I'm not saying that bad news is good news, which is what this kind of implies. In fact, I'm just telling you that in terms of uh, look at, you know, look at and look at the bond market, which also the 10 year actually sold off half a point today. Should that have been happening on a day when people thought that maybe the economic news got much worse when the trade But bad news was good
5: news last week. So when we got that bad, that bad number last week, you saw December. That's what you're talking about. They're going in October. You saw December. The odds of them going doubled. So bad news for the market has become good news, at least on the rates front, for a more conducive bullish Fed or pro-growth Fed.
6: I think it doesn't make sense. I understand that that's happening. It doesn't make sense to me that a weaker economy would bring the Fed back in to try to strengthen the economy. I'd much rather see better economic numbers, right, right? and, and cut to the chase. Guidelines. We do have mm-hmm. some data. They, I, 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 I agree the Fed, you know, doesn't—there's mixed. There's mixed voices there, but— right. Let's see. We have some PPI data tomorrow. If any of that comes in hot, we have the unemployment at a 50-year you know, low. That's some cover for a Fed that doesn't want to keep cutting. Right.
1: Coming up, Uber catching a lift as when Wall Street analyst mm. gets bullish on the stock. We'll tell you if the ride-sharing <laughs> company's stellar rating can last. Plus, the chartmaster says one of the year's best-performing sectors is about to break down. He'll tell us what it is. We're live in Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Uber speeding ahead today after City upgraded the ride-sharing company to a buy rating. The bank saying it is optimistic about a positive shift in sentiment towards Uber's core business. So are you uh, pooling with City? Getting in on the action here. Some <laughs> wow. of the parts
4: <laughs> we love puns, we love entendre. and you I love got it. you got it's a lot there
1: throughout the show. It's strong, <laughs> It's really strong. Um, the some of the parts I thought was interesting because it was right. zero for like the other zero bets. for everything else. Yeah. So,
6: but but you have to take a big leap on what the ride business is worth, which they have thirty one, I think, right where mm-hmm. you know right here. So, um, I don't know what to make of that. If I don't love that, the theory is a shifted sentiment, right? I don't want sentiment <laughs> to be what will drive. Uber, I think they need, you know, a shift to profitability, say. That would be something that would interest me maybe more. But I understand what they're saying. You know, they're talking about the next evolution, which is autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles, and that that's 2.0 for Uber. And that that's, a, you know, they even have in their, you know, wildest dreams an upside of 102, I believe, and a downside of, I don't know, maybe 18, 19. So I, it still doesn't make me want to to buy um, here. But I, I understand how some people think maybe it's bottomed out. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, I don't think sentiment has changed. I'm with Karen on this. Obviously, you look at the low, the recent low, the 2831, I believe, or, or thereabouts, down down to yeah, it's 2831. That has to hold, and it has to hold for some days for me to start to feel more confident in buying this thing going forward. I need I need more of a base before I start to get involved. All right.
3: I mean, again, we. we... When you have, if your first day in life is your best day, this is not a good thing, right? I mean, this thing comes out of the gate and falls so dead profound. on the floor.
7: Yeah.
3: Uh, so what is there to, I mean, you can pick around and one day call a bottom. I think you're making that point. Why do it? Right. Right. And then when you start hearing some of the parts, I mean, that's so down there in the future. Right. Right now, sentiment is bad. and The stock is bad.
4: Right. Philosopher Braxton Worth um, <laughs> never ceases to amaze with all the right terms. And, and, and I actually was going to point out some of the parts as well because some of the parts usually also is a discounted cash flow model. Um, that's coming up with this number, which to me, does anyone have a dartboard around here? Because, mm. look, ultimately, that's what this becomes, especially when the discount rate of the company and the terminal value of this rideshare business, which we say we're marking almost nothing, but also the discount rate of a company um, really determines the sum of the parts. So uh, while I use DCF and I don't want to poo-poo the whole function, I-, I think you can kind of play around with valuations for a company like this right now. So to suddenly say it's gotten too cheap, um, I'm not sure we know what the rideshare business is worth.
1: All right. Despite today's boost, it's been a rocky road for shares of Uber. The ride-hailing giant is still down more than 4% in the past month, while rival Lyft is down a whopping 12%. Other hot IPOs like Zoom, Video, uh, Beyond Meat, Pinterest also struggled over the past month. But despite the recent IPO pain, Wall Street is still placing bets on Airbnb as it prepares to go public. Let's get to Deidre Bosa with more on this. Hey, Deidre.
8: Hey, Melissa. Well, there's lots to like about Airbnb, but there's also some big question marks, which I'll get to in a minute. First, so, here's how the company makes money. It takes about 15% commission on each booking. For hotels, this is a space which Airbnb is making major moves into. That fee can be higher. In terms of executive team and board, its founders, Brian Chesky, Nathan Belarczyk, and Joe Gebbia, are still at the company, Chesky, as CEO, of course. Last year, they poached Dave Stevenson from Amazon to be its CFO. And Belinda Johnson, the COO, has been there since 2011, and she's been called the Sheryl Sandberg of Airbnb. Now, its board includes some key veterans with Wall Street experience. In May, it added former Apple exec Angela Aarons to a roster that includes former American Express CEO Ken Chenault and Ann Mather, former Pixar CFO, who also serves on the Netflix and Alphabet boards. There is, however, guys, a lot that we still don't know about the company that may or may not be as a appealing like its costs for things such as insurance and its host guarantee. Competition is also heating up while Airbnb is moving into the traditional hotel space with its acquisition of Hotel Tonight and its New York hotel-like project. Big hotel chains like Marriott and IHG are encroaching on home sharing. Now, investors will also be keen to learn about its corporate governance, which is top of mind for many after the WeWork debacle. And perhaps the biggest risk to Airbnb's business like Uber, like Lyft, which you guys were just talking about, is regulation. Like ride sharing, home sharing is facing increased scrutiny from lawmakers in different cities. In New York, regulators are cracking down on home sharing, and the company is being blamed in part for the city's housing shortage. Melissa, back to you.
1: Uh, DeAndre, but a key point here is that it's eyeing a direct listing and not an IPO, correct? I mean, it doesn't need the money. Theoretically, the pricing could be a lot different than what would happen if it went public.
8: That's right. As of the first quarter of this year, it had $3.5 billion on its balance sheet. As far as we know, it's not bleeding money like the ride-sharing companies, and that's why it is talked about as you know a major candidate for direct listings. And VCs say that if it goes that route, that could encourage a
1: lot of other startups here in the Valley to do right. so. Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa in San Francisco. Do we feel better about Airbnb than some of the others?
4: Well, I'll tell you what, and there's, there's certainly, there seems to be less of a, of a, of smoke around the corporate governance. But but it, it's also, here, here's the point, the structure and the difference between an IPO and a direct listing is one where you don't have to show as much disclosure. So opening the books, one of the issues with WeWork is that they were going for an IPO and those that have watched this and said, hey, there's some stuff that maybe we're not ready to show. Sometimes it's not necessarily even you know really deep dark secrets but it's actually a company that has a certain part of the business that it's waiting to mature and they they recognize the market will discount that but a direct listing allows a big company that doesn't necessarily need new funds to get liquidity for insiders on the way out without having to raise new money and open themselves up
1: to all kinds of scrutiny is the regulatory issue a big one for you uh, for their,
6: some of for, the housing yeah. issues? Mm-hmm. Not really. I mean, obviously, Uber face, Uber and Lyft facing headwinds with the AB5 in California. But um, no, not really. I mean, to me, WeWork, though, was an absolute watershed event for sure. Right. And that, I mean, I could see why they'd want to do a direct listing, but it's also a segue to, to getting public. If they sell a very small amount, Maybe it doesn't matter so much exactly where it comes, but it's it's a good segue to getting public. I think the days of just, you know, endless growth at any price, profitability somewhere way down the line in some vague way, those are gone for a while. The pendulum swung way too far. Mm -hmm. It's going to take a a while for it to swing swing
1: back. You can read more about Airbnb's plans to go public on our website, CNBC.com. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Here's what else is coming up on the show.
7: Time to rethink the safety trade? The one sector the Chartmaster says is shooting off massive warning flares. And later, a frosty call on Wendy's, where the company's big breakfast bet could leave investors with some serious hunger pains. We'll explain when Fast Money returns.
0: The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. Mixed with blue agave nectar, Real lime juice and cane sugar for the perfect balance of sweet, salty, and sour every time. Discover legendary taste with Cayman Jack, America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois.
1: Imagine earning a degree
9: that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how
1: Capella can make a difference in your life
10: at capella.edu.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks. Finishing the day in the red, but despite the recent turmoil, all but one sector is still sitting in the green for the year. Our chart master, though, says one of the best-performing groups in the market is shooting some warning flares. Carter's over at the plaza to break it down. Carter, take it away.
3: This is just a very simple look at utilities. It's the most crowded, in a way, or most popular, most loved, and maybe belongs here because of DCF and low interest rates. But what we do know is uh, two things have happened that are fairly extraordinary. On Friday last week... Uh, the utility sector clocked its tenth consecutive advance on a week-over-week basis. That has happened two other times in the history of the data, and thereafter it wasn't particularly good. Now, while two other instances is hardly statistically significant, still it's worth noting. So in the late um, spring of 03, we completed a ten-week run, and what happened one week later, two weeks later, three weeks later, four weeks later, is right there on the screen for you to see. The same thing happened, a 10-week consecutive run in the early spring of 2013, and the utility sector did this. So we, on Friday, just completed 10 runs. Utility is one of the worst-performing areas of the market today, and adjusted for beta, particularly poor. I think it's the beginning of what would be an unwind. Let's look at a few other things, Uh, just the chart itself. This is the entire decade, 2009, to where we are. One thing we know is you can get too far above trend. And if you were just to measure how far above the 150-day moving average the utility sector is, more often than not, you start to get some counter-trend move. And that's what I think we're set up for here. Another way to do it, same chart, remove the moving average, and just put a channel on it. I mean, it is literally lived in this channel like some sort of pinball machine, perfectly, over and over and over and over and over and over, and then what has it done? It is blown out through the top. That's what a blow-off top starts to look at. So again, the thinking is, a little too good, fade this very crowded area of the market. And then, just for what it's worth, what kind of sell-off could you get? Exact same chart again. You can see these drawdowns here. Here's a 14, here's a 14, here's a 13, a 13, a 19, a 15, a 17, a 10. You know, do you get this kind of thing coming in here? I think you do. Let's say it's even three or four or it's six. But either way, does it just keep advancing from here? I think the odds are low and therefore take action.
1: Carter, can I ask a potentially um, stupid question? Oh, come on. No such thing, Mel. You know, one could look at the chart and say higher lows and higher highs. So why wouldn't it break out?
3: Uh, right. But, it, but I mean, that's the sequence. But if you were to look at just that sequence, higher highs and higher lows, the sequence calls for the next higher low, meaning for some form of dip. Even if one believes it's this and that interest rates are going much, much lower and utilities outperform the sequence, if in fact that's what we're talking about. Right. It, it's just maybe what you said. A slight dip and then more. But I think it's more than a slight dip. All right. Um, that wasn't a dumb question. <laughs> girl. That was
1: well, you know, inquiring minds. <laughs> Steve, do you like utilities?
5: I, I do like utilities, up 25% year-to-date, and, and I, I don't uh, disregard what Carter's saying to me. I, it, it's a staircase. So you're going to get that pullback. You have to look at relative strength index, the RSI, see when the XLUs get overbought, and then you want to bleed out of them a little bit. But the people who own these own them for long term. So they're not going to buy and sell them. They're going to stay the path. Traders will.
3: Well, Mm -hmm. I think to some extent that's right, because this is a very sort of, well, buy and hold area of the market. mm -hmm. But we're getting record inflows into ETFs that track... Oh. Uh, utilities like the XLU, it's a different and that kind of money a, coming that's a, in. It's not a buy and hold crowd, right?
4: And, and if you're grabbing it at these kinds of highs, if we go through, just remember utilities, uh, as Carter pointed out, they, they have these enormous drawdowns as well. I mean, in December, basically, when everything was pulling back, you, you lost 10% like that in the XLU, um, which tells you you're not immune. And when actually there's more momentum in these things at those peaks when the market is most vulnerable, that is something to watch out for.
1: All right, coming up, one fast food stock set to report this week, and options traders are betting it is about to serve up stellar earnings. Plus, Tesla revving higher as its electric truck bet gains some steam. So is it really all about the Model 3? Much more Fast Money coming up next. Stay with us. Welcome back to Fast Money. Hope you're hungry because we're about to get a full smorgasbord of restaurant Ooh. results. Let's get to Kate Rogers back at headquarters with the setup. Hey, Kate.
9: Hey, Melissa. That's right. Well, it all kicks off tomorrow morning before the bell with earnings from Domino's, where delivery has been the key storyline. The company has been admittedly facing some headwinds from the growth of third-party delivery aggregators as Domino's continues to conquer that all in-house. Now, Americans spent some $10 billion on third-party delivery last year alone, so CNBC took a look at recent earnings transcripts and events to look at the key themes at major restaurant players, and we found that while mentions of delivery have stayed somewhat steady, names of specific companies, from Postmates to DoorDash, have actually increased. We can expect that trend to continue. It's been a big boost to business for brands like Chipotle and McDonald's as they expand their reach. Restaurant upgrades and tech enhancements will also be in focus as companies are continuing to introduce kiosks, mentions of which have also increased. Companies are also expanding offerings like mobile order and pay around the globe. Both Starbucks and Chipotle in particular have continued to emphasize the offering and have seen loyalty program enrollments increase as a result. And one more thing we notice, while value and menu items are key, mentions of breakfast actually peaked a few years ago. This as Wendy's makes a full push into the offering. Wendy's actually got a downgrade on that from Cowen today to Market Perform, saying that breakfast is not a long-term competitive advantage. So very interesting. We'll have to see how it all plays out. Melissa, back over to
1: you. All right, Kate, thank you. So as these food names gear up to report, should investors put their money where their mouth is,
4: Tim? <laughs> Well, they certainly have. Uh, we hate puns and we hate that. Yeah, so look, uh, in the case of Domino's, I think some of these concerns in terms of some structural essence in their business, which they're choosing to do in-house versus outsourcing, are very real. This is a company, uh, if you look at the the explosive growth of Domino's, it was a five-year run that through essentially August of 2018 was, was one of the best performing stocks in the world, let alone the restaurant, sp- restaurant space. I think at 26 times, it's growing into the valuation. In terms of valuation relative to its peer group at this point, this is not an expensive company the question is truly is is it becoming a value trap i know at 26 times that sounds a little pricey to be calling it value but relative to some of the restaurant peers which have been very defensive places to hide out and companies that have become growth stocks because of their loyalty programs because of their essentially the delivery and the larger ticket items and what it means for for
5: analysts um domino's hasn't had that
1: You rode the Domino's train for a long time. I
5: did. I'm not in it for a while now. Growth is actually slowing. International growth is slowing. Mm -hmm. U.S. growth is slowing. I'm looking at a chart for Jack in the Box, a name that I don't Uh, talk about a lot. It's digesting that blowout in earnings. Well
4: done.
6: Ah, nice. (laughs)
1: Nice,
5: Jack. That blowout in earnings that they had back in August, and it's uh, absorbed it, digested it, and moving higher from there. I still like that name.
3: Which name looks good
1: in this space?
3: I mean, I, I, my favorite here is Starbucks. It uh, it's, was the single strongest, and it's had one of the more important givebacks, and the, the sell-off leaves it at a level of support. But what we do know is there's, there's sort of the greats, Yum, Chipotle, well, not really, but let's say Starbucks, McDonald's, Yum, and then there's all the other sort of trying to be important players. Um, and Starbucks, I think, is best in class here.
1: Is this a good gauge for the consumer?
3: When it, it
6: comes to retail, it is I think a good gauge for the consumer because they're employed, right, and um, they have money to spend. Wages are going up. That's sort of the flip side: wages for the consumer in the lower end are, are going up. But mm-hmm. also, this is a real headwind for. Uh, restaurants. Right. It is a real. It is. It is a real headwind that some of them, you know, are actually going to have to uh, decrease the amount of hours or staff that they have. So uh, I do like. I mean, McDonald's has just done such an extraordinary job. I know it's pulled back a little, maybe not a lot, but. I mean, they have re- the, the last same-store sales numbers. I thought were so impressive that uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see that momentum continue.
1: Right, you got the push-pull. I mean, wages are increasing uh, for some of these fast-food chains, but they're also increasing in technology, like the kiosks, for instance, which may even eliminate the, the need for people at some point.
4: Well, they, they, they do, and and at the kiosk, as you add and you specialize and you change this and you do that, you you know, you get you double up here and you get all natural. Extra cheese, you, blah, 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 You're spending blah. more money. And, and the ticket sizes are truly what's most impressive, especially at McDonald's. That's how they're growing same-store sales in the U.S. You know, close to five percent, which is unheard of. Do so you for feel like
1: you, people aren't making judgments on you if you get like a double or if you like supersize <laughs> like, or look? It's why, why so I go kiosk like, when I, pricey, when, so I ask, you know, when I add to for the drive Eighty percent of the profits come to.
4: Eighty percent of the profits <laughs> come to the drive Very personal decision, Mel. I don't know why you pointed to me like I'm weird stuff in kiosk. You spoke about as if you have personal
1: experience. You would add more things. Your ticket size gets bigger. You know what? I'm weird at the me.
5: Made a so. great point at McDonald's, uh-huh. their, their digital investments that yeah. they've made. If WeWork can be called a technology company, then McDonald's, McDonald's should be called a technology company as well. They've rejiggered that menu so many times. They've gotten rid of so many different SKUs. They put it where they get you through that drive through Family of six. Go you. Tim. Cafe too. They've yeah. turned into a coffee shop. I mean, they've done everything. So yep.
1: All right.
4: I
10: love Mickey D's.
1: Um, well, options traders are betting on big moves when Domino's reports tomorrow. Let's get to Mike Cohen, San Francisco. Mike.
10: Yeah, we did see quite a lot of options activity in Domino's today. Traded 12 times its average daily call volume, 9 times its average daily put volume. And the options market is implying a move of over 7% by the end of the week after they report earnings tomorrow, and that is larger than the just over 5% that they typically average. One of the trades that I was looking at that I thought was kind of interesting was the weekly 217 and a half 250 risk reversal. So in this trade, that option trader was buying the 250 calls, selling the 217 puts. They were spending $4.65 to put that trade on. So that's a little less than 2% of the current stock price. The idea here is that they will get long the stock if it rallies through that 250 strike on the upside. They also could get long the stock if it falls because they're short that downside put. But they won't be long the stock until it declines by at least 10% if it should disappoint on earnings. As for myself, I'm kind of with Carter here because I'm going to Starbucks myself. That's the place that doesn't really have those aggregator delivery challenges, I think still paying 3 bucks for a cup of coffee and i get it myself.
1: <laughs> All right, Mike, thanks for that. Mike Co in San Francisco. For more options, action be sure to tune into the full show that's Friday 5:30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Tesla shares getting a pop thanks to Pepsi. We'll break down what is driving today's gains. Don't go uh... anywhere. Much more fast money right after this.
7: <laughs> the halftime report is honoring America's veterans once again this year. If you're a veteran or part of a military family, we want you to come see us live at the Women's Memorial in Arlington, Virginia on November 8th. Tickets are free. Just email your name and phone number to VeteranTickets at CNBC.com. The deadline is Monday, October 14th. Again, come see the Halftime Team Honor America's Veterans at the Women's Memorial in Arlington, Virginia, November 8th. For free tickets, email us at veteranstickets at CNBC.com. See you there.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla charging up today after analysts at oh, Morgan hope. Stanley said the electric car maker is getting, quote, real world validation for semi trucks. This, as Pepsi announced plans to use 15 Tesla electric trucks at a California facility as part of a near zero emissions project. Morgan Stanley says these large real deal customers with sophisticated supply chains are a huge milestone for Tesla. So is the electric semi gaining speed, Karen? Oh. Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's endless. Interesting. Right? I think it's really particularly. Look, like, it's yeah. great for a
4: Monday, though. If I you mean, think if, about this, it, if
1: I, this were a drinking game, this, right. <laughs> our viewers <laughs> would be drunk. Yes. Well, I mean, the nice. Tesla.
6: I don't know. Was up about eight hundred, nine hundred million dollars today. Mm-hmm. On I think this story. So, fifteen trucks. I think I saw on their website uh, two hundred thousand dollars. About. Per truck, So that's $3 million. So that's a good bang for your buck for the stock to have sell 3 million to have an order for $3 million worth of trucks. That's great, though. Obviously, I'd love to I'd love to see the evolution of uh, electric vehicles for trucks. That would be great. It's still I mean, it's Tesla. They're talking about end of next year. Originally, it was going to be end of this year. How many times? So are we I end? get hard. It's hard to get really excited that this is really going to happen. This is a great customer, obviously. But uh, this is a tiny, tiny little
4: was, wasn't this news out a year and a half ago? They were putting in a big order. They were first yeah. in the line, securing. It was December of 2017. We were waiting. Pepsi was going to be first in line to get all these big semis. Um, as Karen said, we're still waiting. Uh, and we're still waiting. to. I, I mean, this is not a reason to go buy the stock. The reason to go buy the stock is when you start to see these guys are becoming less of a cash burn story um i'm not even going to say cash flow generative um, but the the, the story is the balance sheet right now it's not even deliveries the story is can this company find a way to be profitable um, because i don't think capital
5: markets are wide open to them it is is the balance sheet it's also the short interest is still hovering somewhere around 30 percent just a shade underneath that but when you look at it on a stock chart it's trying to build a base I, i i would not own tesla uh, I believe what Tim says and everyone else on this desk, it's a balance sheet question. It's not a technical or fundamental story. The fundamentals are not there yet. You have to look at the technicals.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, it is trying to build the base, but the key word is trying. Right? Yeah. It's very early in that process, and more often than not, unless you've really completed it, which is the time to go, it, it ends up being very disappointing.
1: Right. Right. Um- so- in terms of this particular Early. business segment, though, the semi-truck, I mean, it seems like corporations Massive. have mandates now to become more green, much more so than an individual consumer who might choose to buy a Model 3 or not choose to buy a Model 3. And this electrified semi-truck is the only one awesome. on the market so far.
4: It, it, look, it's awesome. And, and being green also means being fuel-efficient, um, which also means saving a lot of money. And Pepsi's already started to... I mean they they can budget this and and very easily rationalize this purchase at a time when they already have semis already out there on the road so um this is good business because it's green and i believe in green and that's I also, so also that's believe a great to point, actually though, be profitable
5: because we could all go through this desk and see how much how many other competitors there are in the car business but you can't do it in this business so for them to start getting these orders with zero competition if they could start building some sort of a tailwind in that segment of the economy that starts to change the narrative but the competition for, for will Tesla. come it
3: will come and at 42 billion market cap how much of all of this is priced in or maybe it should be 22 billion market cap
5: yeah well, but it's, diff- it's yeah. different though with this cuz there's contracts there's sure, but, you know it's not like uh, you're uh, uh, competition will come to they the won't the be the only
3: person with an electric truck
5: sure no, but if they're first first there there's a different you have to go out and shake hands with the fortune 500 companies it's a lot different than trying to earn the trust of the person that's just strolling by trying to buy a car because he's 50 or 40 or for his for his daughter his first car her first car
1: all right coming up we're just a few hours away from china's stock market reopening for the first time in more than a week we'll take you live to asia with the setup and speaking of china take a look at our kramer cam jim is laying out what investors should be keeping an eye on as the trade talks gear up this week that's Top of the hour on Mad Money. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more fast, still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're following two developing stories out of Asia. First, protests continue in Hong Kong. This was the scene overnight as anti government demonstrators clash with police. A continued unrest comes as China's stock market gets ready to reopen after a week long holiday. Let's get to Sri Jagaraja live in Singapore with the Asia market setup. Sri.
11: Hi, Mel. Yeah, there are a couple of opposing forces to consider for the China market reopen later on today. On the negative end of the ledger, it does appear that the US and China don't seem to be fully aligned in terms of uh, the outcome for trade talks. President Trump does expect something substantial. We heard from him earlier on. He does sound optimistic. However, on the Chinese side, they appear to be narrowing the scope of a trade deal. They don't appear to be ready to make any real movement actually, on the structural issues like IP protection. The yuan, the Chinese currency, in the meantime, that has been weakening in the offshore market, so it's pricing in something of a pessimistic outlook there. So trade uncertainty, that's going to continue to be a feature that will bully the Chinese markets, if not... Uh, the regional markets as a whole on the plus side, though, retail spending during the uh, China week long national day holidays, that was pretty robust coming in at growth, returning to growth, actually, of eight and a half percent. Compare that with the six point seven percent decline that we saw the comparable period last year. So that's positive. But the big question moving forward is whether this represents just a flash in the pan, whether it's just a one-off, or whether that is sustainable and continues. So we should get some idea when we get the services sector PMI later on today. And that ought to give us an indication of how the Chinese consumer is holding up. So, Mel, all in all, I doubt you'll see any real uh, conviction either way in the China markets at the reopen until we get some real clarity on the final outcome of the trade discussions. Back to you now.
1: All right. Sri, thank you. Sri Jagaraja in Singapore for us. Uh, what do we expect? I mean, go, this week-long holiday is typically a big spending week. We typically see a lot of traffic, for instance, in the casinos and in retail stores in China.
4: Yeah, look, what's happening in Hong Kong is particularly sad, and, and it you know there's a couple things that it, it will affect. It will affect real estate prices. This is a place that's got a huge property market, and there's arguably a huge property bubble. You are seeing an outflow of capital as you're seeing an outflow of people. Um, so this is a sad dynamic. China, if you think about their local markets, actually, the CSI 300 has outperformed the S&P by about 5% this year. So, you know, trade war, whatever you want to say, there have been been moments. In fact, over the summer before, actually up until the spring when we had – those tweets in mid-May, early May, when, when Trump, uh, again, threw a lot of cold water on a trade deal. That knocked this thing out of bed, which it hasn't really recovered. But again, China, the local markets, if you're playing them, there's different ways to do it. Um, you know, one of them is just the A-share ETF, which is something that gives you exposure to. The markets are incredibly cheap. I mean, on a relative to themselves, they're incredibly cheap. Um, I don't think this news overnight is going to do a whole lot to, to change that.
3: I mean, the real standout, actually, of course, is the, is the Nikkei and the Topex. I mean, the Kospi is in a free-fall Taiwan stock market is also stronger than the Shanghai, HSI Hang Seng. I'd rather be in Japanese equities here than any other area of Asia Pacific.
1: Is that is that like a I'd buy Nikkei or is it just they look relatively better?
3: Both, absolute, and the relative is off the charts. Yeah.
1: Are you in EEM
6: so I am. I'm in a, a number of uh, different ETFs. D X J is one of them. Uh, e E M, which has been a volatile ride. Um, I just feel like I need to have some exposure around the world, kind of permanently. Mm-hmm.
5: If you're looking at the Chinese consumer. What better way to play it than Alibaba? Up 22% year to date. If you're getting a deal or if the consumer is actually spending on an uptick, maybe you want to play that. It's below all three of its moving averages, the 50, the 100, and the 200. So maybe you wind up getting a little bit of a pop going into the deal and coming out where the Asian markets have just reopened.
1: In the beginning, were you making the contrast between the Hang Seng and the local Chinese markets because you think the Hang Seng will be lower because of this unrest? And the local Chinese markets will be, do okay? I think there's
4: more pressure um, in Hong Kong right, right now for obvious reasons and that those markets, and this is kind of what Carter was saying, I think yeah. that, that's not a great-looking chart. No. Um, also, just, overnight you had FX reserves out of China that came out numbers, in, and they were lowest since February. So at some point you're going to start to see more pressure on FX reserves in China again. All
1: right. Up next, final trade. The final trade, Tim Seymour.
4: So we talked about restaurant stocks. Starbucks pulled back to this 85 level, which is about a 15 percent drawback, and and expectations now are lukewarm. So I I tell you, I like this stock. I'm long. I stay long. Carter
1: Braxtonworth.
3: I like Starbucks long and utilities short. XLU. I would use that as a vehicle to hedge if you're long utilities, or just go short.
1: Karen Feinerman. Yes, so we're going to be
6: starting to see bank earnings next week, which are really important for the banks themselves, but also for their look into the economy, which many of them have a great look, particularly Bank America, considering uh, I think one out of two families bank there. I'm long. I like it. Obviously, it's a tough market for banks with rates here, but
1: I like it. Degrassi.
5: Uh, about a week and a half ago, I bought Alta on that huge dip, that big sell-off that they had. I wound up uh, selling it up about 14%, 15%. I did the same thing with Roku. I'm long. Maybe you should take a shot.
1: All right. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more fast. Mad Money starts right now.